Welcome to the Imago Day podcast, a show of philosophical and theological reflections for today's world. My name is Lewis, and I'm here with Joseph Terry. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing well, man. Great to talk to you. <clears throat> yes, today we're going to talk about, we're starting a series on metaphysics, and uh, we're just going to look at the many different aspects of this subject. And thankfully, Joe, you know a lot about metaphysics. <laughs> uh, you're a big reader of Plato, and I appreciate you just taking the time to talk about this well, topic that I know very little about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to, to dive in this uh, topic with you. It's it's rich and yeah, I think that there's so much we can get from it. I wanted to start off with just a definition of metaphysics. Um, just, you know, the typical Merriam-Webster breakdown of it. And uh, Merriam-Webster defines metaphysics as a division of philosophy that is concerned with the fundamental nature of reality and being and that includes ontology, cosmology, and often epistemology. What do you make of that definition, Joe? I actually like that definition. And as far as it's, it's really inclusive, but not to the point where it loses clear boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I mean, metaphysics is a subdivision. It's a branch of philosophy. Indeed, that, that is concerned uh, with the nature of reality itself. And, you know, by virtue of that definition, it's going to include things like um, ontology, which I'll define in just a moment, cosmology, um, and even epistemology, right? Um, so it, it's going to be, it's huge in that sense. Cosmology uh, could be defined simply as the investigation of the nature of, uh, let's say from a scientific perspective, the nature of the cosmos, the universe itself, the large-scale structure of the universe, Um uh, ontology, interestingly enough, uh, uh, the dominant subdivision of metaphysics uh, is the investigation of being, mm -hmm. ontic, right? Mm -hmm. The investigation, what is being or existence? Mm -hmm. And epistemology, you got to love these uh, $20,000 words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> epistemology is the uh, study of knowledge. How do we know what we know? What does mm -hmm. it mean to know, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, Metaphysics uh, will have a direct effect on a slew of other uh, uh, divisions within philosophy, like metaphysics, excuse me, like epistemology. So one's perspective on the nature of reality will affect that, that person's perspective of what it means to know, what we mm -hmm. can know and whatnot. And we'll see how this plays out a little bit when we uh, begin to discuss Plato. Uh, in his uh, a metaphysical vision. Um, so I, I really like that definition. Uh, it, uh, so my first question is uh, that just the definitions of metaphysics, it feels like a very, very abstract type of yeah. uh, branch of philosophy. Yeah. And so for, for someone just living in the day-to-day, -day, like why, why is it important to study metaphysics and does it actually have a practical application for someone that's living? A, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It is abstract, um, and that's actually a good thing. In, in as far as um, we tend to uh, be, how can I put this, weed down with particulars. And there's nothing wrong with particularity, um, but if we're only able to think of particulars and instance or instantiations, we won't be able to arrive at a greater vision of the whole. Okay, and metaphysics is concerned with the whole um, and, and how particulars relate to one another in light of this vision of the whole. And so abstraction, the ability to abstract 
um, is the ability of the mind of the soul, as Plato will say, to move from particulars to universals, right? Mm -hmm. And even the question of the universal and the particular is, in fact, a metaphysical question, right? The question that you ask, actually, mm-hmm. like, like, why, why even engage in the the question of uh, metaphysics and 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 why go and in in your question with regards to the the, the practicality of it presupposes uh, a, a particular metaphysics already at work, right? Um, it is a metaphysical question. Um, so, in one sense, metaphysics is inescapable. Um, we we can never as it were, outrun metaphysics or avoid metaphysics, despite the many talks of 20th century philosophy and to some degree 21st century philosophy that will claim the death of metaphysics. <laughs> and it is a very long, uh, drawn-out history with regards to that and why someone would say that. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to submit uh, to you and to the audience that metaphysics is inescapable, right? Uh, in as far as we um, are already caught up in thinking that is governed by a metaphysical framework, whether or not we are aware of it. Um, and so I think in this sense, when we ask the question, well, why engage in metaphysics? One answer simply is awareness. <laughs> it's, it's learning to become aware of suppositions, uh, assumptions, beliefs that we already bring to the table. That, 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 that critical question of awareness is huge here, right? And so, so it, it will help to see, as it were, the kind of ground we are standing in, the kind of reality we have, we are situated. Um, so, I think in that sense, metaphysics is is quite helpful uh, for the for the sake of the cultivation of awareness. I'm also going to say that um, metaphysics is so important when it comes to clarity and thought. Um, uh, metaphysics is deeply concerned with with categories. Um, we see this preeminently in the classical philosopher Aristotle, who himself was a student of uh, the great Plato, right? Um, and Plato himself was a student of Socrates. It's a very interesting lineage there. Mm-hmm. Metaphysics really is a science of categories. Um, uh, and, and what I mean by that um, uh, is... Because metaphysics is concerned with the whole, mm. it will in it will also be concerned with particulars and systems and subsystems and structures of reality in relation to the whole. And if we're growing in our awareness of those those let's say categories, um, we're then able to think more clearly. And um, I think over the next couple of uh, uh, podcasts, we'll be able to flesh exactly what I mean by that um, in terms of thinking categorically and, and the importance of that. Because I'm going to say this, and, and this may or may not be controversial. I don't think it's controversial. I think it's, it's um, pretty straightforward. Um, we are in an age of metaphysical ignorance. <laughs> what I mean by that is, is that we, the vast majority of us, just have not been trained to think uh, 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 with within proper categories, right? Mm-hmm. It just it's just very difficult for us to do so, and and that's due to certain historical reasons that I think we will um, be able to talk about. So metaphysics is hugely important here. Yeah, can you can you talk about what are 
what are the ramifications of that lack of awareness that you're describing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, if, 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 again, I, I am unable to cultivate a vision of the whole, okay. um, uh, whatever, and, and however that may mean in relation to particulars, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to become increasingly difficult for me, if not impossible to 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 consider let's say relationality that is to say the relationship between one particular and another mm -hmm. so <clears throat> i think here my mind naturally gravitates towards the question of science and religion uh and and the the various tensions um that that are there let's say for instance and this is just a sort of quick example mm -hmm. uh you have those um let's say monotheistic faiths that will speak of a sort of divine creation Mm -hmm. Um, and what's usually, what usually is, um, what usually happens is, uh, in an age of metaphysical ignorance, folks will tend to pit one explanation, uh, against another. And it may look something like this, where, uh, the sort of what I will call a sort of cultural fallacy or cultural mythology that we typically have as late modern folks uh, in the secular Western world is the vision or, or the sort of narrative that religion is contra science or science is against uh, religion in many modes, one being the, the question of creation itself. And so it, it will look like, oh, well, if you believe that God created the world, somehow that stands in tension with what we know scientifically, right? Through the empirical arts, uh, let's say biological evolution or cosmological evolution, right? Um, how then do you uh, fit the two pictures together? And what happens for a lot of people is, oh, science explains it. Religion is more mythology. doesn't really explain it. Or, or you'll have religious thinkers sometimes repudiating science <laughs> and saying, oh, yeah. science doesn't somehow get the real nuance of what's happening here. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and the issue, mainly, I'm going to say, is metaphysical. Uh, and a lack of metaphysical perspective. So, and 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 so, if we look at and we'll we'll get to this more thoroughly. If we look at the question of um, causality, right, cause and effect, that first and foremost is a, a a category within metaphysics, right? The investigation of causality. What is cause and effect? What is this relationship between the two? And how can we explore this? In this, in this question of cause and effect, we, we can explore that there are, we, we can probably say, we can say, not probably say, um, that there are, we can say that there are primary causes and secondary causes. Mm. And once we begin to dive into the richness and in some sense mysterious reality of causality, we grow richer in our nuanced way of thinking about cause and effect because part of the tension let's say in the example that i give mm -hmm. uh gave uh between science and religion part of the tension is a tension or question around causality whether or not folks are aware of that right mm -hmm. did god cause creation or is it somehow science describing the causes and and whatnot and somehow science 
uh, repudiates the causal framework of God's activity in creation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to explore that question, we need to have a rich metaphysical understanding of causality. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, we're going to have a flattened metaphysics. We're going to have a very myopic and narrow perspective because we haven't done our homework with regards to the relationship between cause and effect and an awareness of primary and secondary or tertiary causes, okay? Um, And and again, we will explore that. I'm kind of like leaving us on sort of on the precipice, as it were, like leaving us hanging here without kind of diving into it, but but we will see how uh, that that really plays out. If we ask the question, here's another example. If we ask the question of, of, of purpose or meaning, we are indefinitely, we are uh, uh, invoking metaphysical questions. And the relationship between, let's say, purpose and design or, or structure and beginning to investigate what is the relationship between the structure of an entity and its purpose? Is there a relationship between those two? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, again... Metaphysics is giving us here tools to investigate the nature of reality to the degree in which we're able to discern relationality between particulars, let's say the particularity of structure and the particular question of purpose or meaning in relation to that structure. Um, and so um, if, we, if we're not doing that, if, we're, if we are not aware of that, then we will make all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of what philosophy will call fallacies and metaphysical fallacies in particular. One being reductionism. Um, and again, we'll, 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 we'll come to these uh, terms and, 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 and hopefully we'll be able to explain these in, in future episodes. But yeah, that, that's, I, I think, you know, metaphysics is huge. It's huge. Yeah. So let's turn, let's turn to the Greek philosophers who uh, essentially started it all, uh, hmm. I presume. Uh, In the West, Plato, yes. Aristotle. Yeah, yes. Plato, Aristotle, and, and Socrates, um, three big names that you mentioned quite a bit. Um, they were, uh, you said in the West, they, they kind of were the ones who started the conversation about metaphysics and about just kind of taking a look at all the things that you just described. Um, can we take a look at Plato's allegory of the sun? Let's do that, dude. Let's get into Plato's allegory <laughs> yeah. of the sun. I, I, I mean, love I'm Plato, sure. man. I just, I just, Plato, <laughs> I mean, I just love these, all these guys, man. I mean, Plato's yeah. dude is just, I mean, oh. <laughs> Why Plato? Why do you love Plato so much? He's a visionary and, and he's an eminently sane visionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, 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 he's poetic. He's um, rich. He's a student of Socrates in, in so many wonderful ways in the sense that he carries forward the enterprise and the activity of philosophy envisioned by Socrates. Um, mm. Plato is amazing, amazing dude in the sense that he is um, not just uh, starting with Socrates uh, mm. uh, intellectually, but will we'll go uh, beyond Socrates, as it were, in looking at those philosophers who came before Socrates, like Heraclitus and Parmenides and Thales and Anaximander and, and Democritus, in the sense that he is trying to ask 
the question, not trying, he is asking himself the question, how do the various theories and perspectives and thought forms that have come, fo that have come forth, um, how can they be systematized? How can they be put together? How can we investigate these things? So, so there is a level of intellectual integrity and gravity to Plato's thought that's just in some ways really unparalleled. The the philosopher, the 20th century, the, excuse me, the 20th, 20th century philosopher Wittgenstein spoke of Plato in the following sense, gave him an amazing honor by saying that really all philosophy that came, that comes after Plato is just a footnote to Plato. <laughs> wow. So, so Plato is just dope. He's a yeah. dope dude, um, <laughs> raised, uh, um, as it were, with a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, mm. He was being groomed to be a statesman, to, to, to be one of the political elite within Athens. Mm -hmm. uh, he catches wind of this, this older gentleman by the name of Socrates who walks around with an unwashed uh, 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 toga, cloak, <laughs> barefoot, uh, very peculiar individual in the market Crazy. who is questioning, yeah, who is questioning and seems brilliant. Anyway, Plato, Plato follows this dude, becomes his follower, becomes his disciple. Mm -hmm. The state comes against Socrates. They, they put him on trial because he's ruffling the feathers and they kill him. They kill Socrates. Wow. And this dude, Plato's like, yo, I'm not about this life. Like, yo, mm -hmm. F this. <laughs> he's like, yo, forget it. Screw it. Like, I'm out. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. going to be uh, giving my, my gifts and talents to the political machine state that is Athens that yeah. killed my, my beloved master and teacher. And so he, wow. he is like, nah, I'm out. And he kind of, you know, he travels, he cultivates his own philosophy, comes back and starts really in many ways the first Western university called the Academy, where we get the word Academy from, academics and, and whatnot. And yeah, just just amazing. Just amazing. He's a, he's a teacher of Aristotle and not to diminish Aristotle, right? Because Aristotle mm. is a freaking giant on his own. Yeah. I mean, forget about it. So too with Socrates. But here we are with Plato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's talk about uh, his analogy of the sun, which was mm. it's found in the sixth book of the Republic, yes, and yes. it was written as a dialogue between Glaucon and Socrates. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, Joe, what is what is the allegory of the sun? What is it all about, and how does it relate to metaphysics? Yeah, just, just a little bit. I mean, I just want to say this: uh, mm. if and for those of us, for those of you who are listening, I just want to say this clearly, like, please do yourself the favor, pick up The Republic and read it. It's just a classical <laughs> text. You got to read The Republic. I mean, in, in, in many ways, it's a scandal that anyone can graduate with a bachelor's degree and not read uh, some of the great literature like, like The Republic, right? Plato's Republic is just amazing. That doesn't mean that you'll agree with everything or that you necessarily will understand everything in The Republic. Just <laughs> just go and wrestle with it. It's a great text. Mm -hmm. But like you said, Lewis, yeah, it's, it's in The Republic. Uh, this, this, this amazing work by Plato, it's actually, in, like you said, the sixth book of The Republic. Uh, Plato gives us a series of analogies, actually, a series of allegories that, that, that really sum up uh, and articulate Plato's metaphysics. Again, back to that word metaphysics, right? The, the nature of reality. What do we mean? Well, like, what is real? What is being? What is existence? And so Plato writes dialogically. He writes um, uh, uh, via dialogues, right? And, 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 and this is coming from influence of his own teacher and master Socrates. Um, um, 
And and in uh, really around the, I think it's towards the end of chapter uh, of book six of the Republic, he gives us the three uh, uh, analogies or allegories: uh, one of the sun, one of the cave, one of the divided line. Not necessarily in that particular order, and and they sum up, as I said, Plato's metaphysics, which actually deeply informs. His epistemology, and just as a reminder, epistemology is just the study of knowledge. What does it mean to know? So Plato's metaphysics is going to shape his epistemology. In plain, clear English, Plato's understanding of reality, his vision of reality, will have a profound effect on his understanding of how we come to know. And that's an important thing to, I think, say from the onset. Not only that. Not only that, before we dive into the allegory of the sun, right? I want to say a couple of other things here. His metaphysical vision, which affects his epistemology, also deeply shapes his ethics, his moral philosophy, how we are to uh, live. Um, uh, for those of you who are not aware, uh, if you go back uh, several episodes, there's a, a wonderful show, Lewis, you and I did on, oh, was it Plato giving dating advice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we, 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 yeah, we explore, we explore the allegory of the cave there a bit. And, and what, what's great about that episode is that we see the connection between his metaphysical vision and morality and how it affects how we are to live and how Plato could in fact give us dating advice. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's just, right. Um, and, and so diving into the allegory of the sun, right? Plato is really um, expressing, he's explaining, he's articulating his idea of, here it is, watch this, the form of the good. <laughs> <laughs> the word form could also be translated as idea, right? But let's stick with the word form, the form of the good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and he does this uh, through actually all of these allegories, the sun, the divided line, the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, and, and this is one of the this is the governing uh, sort of question uh, that gives context to to this uh, sort of pericope, this passage in Republic, uh, is the question of what is the good? What mm-hmm. is the good? And 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 this is going to be an important question with regards to justice and whatnot. But what is the good mm-hmm. uh, for Plato? The form of the good. Is, is a centrally important metaphysical idea. Centrally important metaphysical idea, which for him is the highest principle, the source of all intelligibility and can be known while making all things known. Now, the hell does all that mean? Let me, let me just explain before we dive deeper into that. I think, I think we, we need to explore what is the allegory of the sign. I think, Louis, that was your question. Mm-hmm. It's like a eight minute roundabout <laughs> um, <laughs> but it needs this context though yeah yeah the allegory of the sun right mm. if my memory serves me correctly i don't have the text in front of me it's a mm. conversation between like you said glaucon and socrates socrates mm. is the uh protagonist here socrates is really the vo- the the mouthpiece for the author of this work which is plato mm. um and and the question is put forth, what is the good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is this? And and, and then Glaucon, I, I believe, presses Socrates, like, what is it? And, and Socrates, if, if my memory serves me correctly, Socrates kind of backs out a little bit. He's like, mm, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat ignorant of this. Like, this this is a quite elusive idea. But then he 
presses forward, Socrates, and says, well, consider the sun <laughs> and, and begins to move in the direction of an allegory, right, of a, of a sort of uh, a metaphorical way of describing these very rich metaphysical concepts. And he begins to explore the relationship between our senses mm -hmm. and uh, empirical reality, right? Um, and, and we'll say, for instance, um, sight is unique. I think he may even use the word impoverished, mm -hmm. uh, poorer than the other senses in a certain way, right? Um, so, for instance... Um, uh, the sense of of hearing, right, only requires two realities, two two elements, as it were. It's like the 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 hand that claps, right, or the snapping of a finger, mm -hmm. and the ear that receives it, right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and it's mediated, right. The sound is mediated into the eardrum, as it were. You, that's all you need is the the object that makes the sound, and boom, the ear. Uh, and you have this with the other three senses as well when it comes to taste. Uh, touch, mm -hmm. uh, smell, but with sight, it's different. Uh, Plato will say through through Socrates, sight is different. You need a third element or a third principle. It's not enough to just have the object that you're beholding and then the apparatus that perceives, which is the eye. You need a third reality, which is light. And if you remove light, you're unable to see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, as the story goes on, I think, um, he, he's going to say how important then the sun is mm -hmm. in order to see the world, mm -hmm. right? The, 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 the sun gives us um, that third principle that allows us to perceive reality. Mm -hmm. you, you can't do it without the sun. You, you mm -hmm. can't see without that. Um, mm -hmm. And and the then here the allegory the metaphors take over where the sun is actually a picture here of the form of the good, right? Mm -hmm. This highest metaphysical principle, mm -hmm. uh, the visible world which is illumined by the sun is met metaphorically speaking the intelligible world or the world of understanding. Wow. That, that's what the word intelligible means, the world of understanding. Okay. And then the eye, right, the apparatus, the eye is a metaphor or a picture of the soul or the mind. Mm. Okay. That move is a very important move. Um, uh, that, that is to say, um, we have to understand the meaning of these symbols, given that this is allegorical. Right, mm -hmm. given to us as allegorical. So, so, so if, again, just to recap, the sun equals the good, good, capital G, the form of the good. The visible world in this sort of allegory of the sun equals or represents the intelligible world. That word intelligible just, just simply means knowable, okay. understandable. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the eye that beholds is the soul of the mind. And so when we put all of this together, what's being said here is that the good, that the form of the good, like the sun, illumines, it makes visible the intelligible world. I'll explain what that intelligible world means and, and make some discuss discussions in just a second, but right, that the good illumines the intelligible world. Mm 
the knowable world, in other words, like the physical sun illumines the sensible, the visible world. And, and, And what's interesting is that as this little sort of allegory of the sun goes on, the intelligible world, the world of, 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 of understanding according to Plato, is actually the offspring in some sense, the offspring by the good, by the, by the, uh, the form of the good. And, and he, he just kind of runs with the metaphor, with the allegory here. If you look at the sun, you can't, it, it, without the sun, there won't be any life on earth, mm. y- y- right? So in a sense, the sun is the father uh, 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 of, of life on earth. In a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, plants can grow. Humans wouldn't have come about, et cetera, et cetera. We, we would be dead mm-hmm. uh, without the sun. So in some sense, the sun generates life. Not only does it give us visibility, uh, but it e- even kind of co- creates the conditions mm-hmm. for life itself. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. And so for Plato, what he's saying here, allegorically, what, he, what the meaning is, is that the form of the good, the the highest principle here, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of metaphysical placeholder, which which explains all things. Um, not only illumines the intelligible world, but um, it also, as it were, creates the intelligible world. To say that, then, therefore, that being or existence comes forth from the form of the good. And so, if you sum it all up, the good is the source of being itself. The good is the source of being itself, which is intelligible, knowable, but watch this now, this is an important move, but the the good, capital G, which here is represented as the sun, is not being, but is actually, according to Plato, beyond being. Mm. Beyond so, being. So is it much like how we can't, you can't, we can't actually like see the sun and the fact you that got it. Have, okay. You got okay. it. That's how, that's how, right. So that in a sense for Plato, you, you, you in a sense, you can, but really cannot know the sun mm-hmm. in the same way that you know, by way of a, a glance, you can see the sun on a mm-hmm. beautiful summer day, like today, I mean, it was really super hot, but right. Mm-hmm. You could see with your naked eye, like for like a quick second. And even there, even then that, that would sort of blind you. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but but you know that the sun is there because by virtue of the sun, all things are illumined. Mm. So so that's a beautiful picture to say for Plato that the mm. sun or rather the good, the 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 the, the form of the good mm. uh, is is beyond being <laughs> because being uh, our minds, as the philosopher Parmenides will, will speak of, there was a philosopher that came before Socrates, one of the guys that Plato's thinking about. Mm. The mind, um, and and it is capable of conceiving or understanding being, existence. In fact, that the the, the form of the mind, that the form of thought itself, is to be, to be. Um, and so that there's a sort of one-to-one correlation between mind and the world. That is the world in the intelligible sense. Okay. Um, very deep concepts here. I know it's 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 it's, it's a wild stuff, but um, this begins to set up the other two allegories which we will get into in future episodes but mm-hmm. but just to recap man you know the allegory of the sun again is a sort of 
poetic way uh, of describing uh, Plato's highest metaphysical principle, which he's calling here the good, capital G as it were, the, the form of the good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that this highest principle, which is beyond being itself, is the one that that illumines all of intelligible reality, the same way the sun illumines the visible world to the eye. And also, as it were, creates and conditions the intelligible world the same way the sun, as it were, creates and conditions life on earth, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that's the movement here metaphorically uh, of the meaning behind these things. So is it is it to say that like, for him, for, for Plato, this was kind of like the baseline by which he's operating is by defining the good and making this allegory that to him, the good is like the way the sun is in our life and how we can't see it. But by the way in which we understand the world, it's illuminated by by this form that's kind of outside of our world. You got it. Wow. You got it. That's a that's a beautiful way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Probably much more, definitely much more succinct succinctly clear than, than my own explanation. <laughs> well, um, it was a summary of, of everything you said. Yeah, no, I, but it's, it's it. right, but it's great. It's great. Um, so when we take a step back and, and consider this, for me, um, speaking in the eye, right, just mm-hmm. on, on, on kind of the, the affect here, yeah. there's something beautiful, attractive about this vision. Uh, there, there's a, a clear... Um, contemplative element to this. Mm-hmm. How so? There, it, 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 Plato is situating reality, the heart of reality, in that which is beyond being. Mm. To contemplate is to consider, is to reflect deeply upon being itself, but then to also allow the soul, the mind, to be drawn into the mystery of being, into that which is the offspring of being, which is beyond being. That movement is contemplation. That's a contemplative or a mystical move here, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 in this allegory, in this allegory, um, we we also are are given. This is the metaphysics. We're also are given the uh, sort of striations or fissures of reality. Um, maybe for a lack of a better phraseology, a higher world versus the lower world. We won't really get that full picture until we get to the divided line okay. and to the allegory of the cave. But let me just go there for a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. notice how notice how the visible world uh, is a metaphor for Plato for the intelligible world. Mm. And the intelligible world, Lewis, check this out, the intelligible world, which is simply the knowable world, mm-hmm. is not for Plato the physical world. Mm. Wow. <laughs> okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what do you, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're like, what are you talking about? Check it out. The visible world, right? Let, let's just let's just leave the analogy for a second. Let's just leave the allegory of the, 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 the allegory of the sun and let's consider visible world, or in other words, the empirical world. That is to say the world that is perceivable, discernible through one or more of our five senses. Let me ask you, Lewis, what, what, if, 
Describe to me the characteristics of the empirical world. What, what would you say are some things that, that are just maybe the elements, as it were, mm -hmm. or, or just what comes to mind when describing the empirical world? How, how would you describe that? Um, I would say, I, I think I would use the word physicality. Like mm -hmm. there is kind mm -hmm. of a, mm -hmm. there is a, a, like there's depth, there's a 3D mm. dimension to the empirical world. I'm yeah. able to interact with it directly. Very nice. Very nice. Um, and yeah, it engages the senses, um, mm. all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if you live in Philly where garbage is on the street. It's crazy. Out here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my empirical world. <laughs> right, right, but right. Yeah, just like something that I directly interact with. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, now think of this, this interaction. How, 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 how do you, how is it possible that you interact mm -hmm. with, or what does that even mean to interact with mm -hmm. the empirical world? What, 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 how would you describe that? What does that even mean? Yeah. Um, in order for me to interact with the empirical world, mm -hmm. I would engage with these things um, in some way, uh, mm. I would try to answer the question of like, what is this thing? Um, and then make a decision to interpret it. So in the, in my example of garbage yeah. on the streets, it's like, what is this, <laughs> this bag on the side of the road? Is it garbage? Um, and then make a decision. Do I pick up the bag and move it? Uh, well, that's amazing. That's amazing because in this the definition of interaction, right, that you just gave, mm -hmm. you actually gave a twofold uh, uh, interactive uh, perspective. One, which was on the on the realm of intelligibility. What mm -hmm. is this bag, mm -hmm. right? So you're looking for the isness, the the being, as mm -hmm. it were, of this, yeah. right? And and you're you're as it were. Starting with the sensorum, right? You're starting mm. with the visible and the tangible. You pick up the bag, but you're, as it were, penetrating the bag, right? You're, you're, mm. you're because you're asking, what is its being? Like, what is this? In, in one sense, right? Not maybe mm. necessarily all the way down to being itself, but a clear definition of an instant, an, an instantiation of this being, right? You want a definition, mm. and in order to offer a definition, that requires a sort of a metaphysical awareness. That's exactly mm. what definition is. You're, you're delimiting. Uh, you're clearly laying out the boundaries of this reality, right? And you're identifying it. Mm. But then you also said, that was like the first move. And then you also said inter interaction is not just in a, on the level of intelligibility, but in, in, in as you said earlier, physicality, or mm. you said pick up to move and pick up the bag. Now, this process of moving the bag, picking up the bag, even perceiving the bag with any of your senses, smelling mm. it, tasting it, that's disgusting, touching it, <laughs> all of this, right? Yeah presupposes change. Now, he, here's where we get to the metaphysics, change. Mm -hmm. The empirical world is the world of flux. Wow. The world of change. Mm -hmm. The hell is change metaphysically? Well, it's the movement from being to non-being or from non-being to being. That's mm -hmm. what change is. Wow. When, when Plato is thinking about change or flux, mm -hmm. He has, in the back of his mind, uh, a particular philosopher who was 
all hyped up about the the metaphysics of change itself by the name of Heraclitus. Mm-hmm. Heraclitus. Um, and Heraclitus, who came before Socrates, right, one of the great pre-Socratic philosophers, um, articulates through his sort of dark, deep, paradoxical statements mm-hmm. and, and writings the the nature of change and flux and how mm-hmm. all things are in the act of becoming, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Heraclitus is, as it were, in many ways, the father of of what later uh, 20th century philosophy will come to know as process philosophy, this right. idea of flux and change, right? And then mm-hmm. you have the other dude, the other, in one, many ways, the antonym or the opposite of the thought form of, of Heraclitus, whom I already mentioned, Permenides, mm-hmm. who will actually say that all change is an illusion because all there is is the unchangeable one, mm-hmm. being itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Plato's asking the question, how can both of these philosophers be put together in the in, in, a, in a greater vision, a greater metaphysical vision? Because I want to I want to affirm both of them. They're both saying something true. Heraclitus's focus on the on the nature of changes is really key here, Plato will think. But so is Parmenides' understanding of the unchangeable one, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, that which is not susceptible to change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you just did it, bro. You, you just did it. Lewis, you just wow. did some amazing philosophy in describing mm-hmm. interaction between the empirical world. He said, no, no, I, I want to understand what this thing is. Mm-hmm. But, but also interaction requires a kind of movement, and remember, change, movement is a function of change, as it were, right? It's a move from mm-hmm. being to non-being, from non-being to being, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's, let's tie it all together. What the hell does this mean? <laughs> Check it out. The empirical world for Plato is in some ways, in some ways, less real, less substantive than the intelligible world. Wow. Think of the intelligible world as the archetypes the forms, as Plato will say, mm-hmm. that that anchors reality as it is. Mm-hmm. It anchors reality as it is, where the empirical world, the the universe of the visible, mm-hmm. is the world of change. It's the world of flux. And if we are just thinking through our senses rather than thinking through the intelligibility we will only arrive at various forms of skepticism. Mm. Let me say that again. If we're just thinking according to the domain of the logic of our sensorum, Mm -hmm. we won't arrive at real truth. Why? Because real truth in one sense cannot be perceived with our senses because our senses are only given, our senses can only discern or perceive that which is in change or flux. That, that, that bespeaks of instability, mm-hmm. right? Um, because it's constantly changing. It's constantly changing. But there's something about the, the, the nature of truth, which is in concert with the nature of reality. In fact, if you define truth, truth is the unveiling or the revealing of what is. Wow. Think of truth. Like, what is true? Like, if, if you press me, you're like, bro, tell me the truth. Joe, tell me the truth. What you're asking me to do is to communicate to you, uh, let's say by means of some sort of verbal cues, mm-hmm. a one-to-one correlation of what actually is. Wow. That's what truth is. True. What is the truth? Like, the truth 
will make you free, Jesus, mm-hmm. right? The truth is reality. And reality is the truth. There's a one-to-one, right, correlation there. And so, but that means that reality is somehow solid or stable. There's a stability. There's a substance uh, uh, that that's rooted in this, that, that which transcends the flux, that which goes above and beyond change. And, and that's where Plato will speak of the eternal. So you have so so notice how you have this sort of by by uh, by situational by focal uh, perspective of reality, right? You have the temporal world that is the world of time, the world of change, the world of flux. All of that is the empirical world, the world that we can discern through our five senses. But then you have this other world, the intelligible world forms, the, the knowable world. Uh, this world in some ways is eternal. Mm-hmm. It's without change. Mm-hmm. Two plus two is four, whether or not we are here to even conceive of that or perceive it. Mm-hmm. Two plus two is four. And that is a sort of eternal truth. Wow. How we represent two, mm-hmm. right? Two apples, two oranges, or how we can see that mitigated in the physical world is conditioned by flux and time. Mm-hmm. But we're able to transcend that through our mind. So so I'm setting up here the other two allegories that's going to follow for Plato, right? That the mind is capable, the soul is capable of, as it were, transcending the world of flux. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a way, and, and scholars will debate this, right? Some will say, well, kind of Plato, and even Aristotle will say this, Plato, as it were, kind of downplays or disregards the physical world or mm. Plato's idea of the good and the sort of transcendent world doesn't really relate to the physical world in any way, right? These are some criticisms hurled against Plato's theory of the forms, uh, I don't want to offer a kind of response to that, right? I mean, these, in some ways, they're valid criticisms, and and mm-hmm. people have, people much smarter than me have worked on these things, um, but but nevertheless, th- you see a twofold, a, a two sort of two tiered system here, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the sun, right? Back to the to the allegory, the sun is the good mm-hmm. that transcends being itself. It's it's beyond being but is the offspring of all being and it's through through the good through the eternal good of the form or the form of the good all things are made known to us the same way the sun is important for the eye to perceive reality Mm -hmm. empirical reality so yeah bro it's (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i look forward to continuing our conversation wonderful on metaphysics uh next week we're going to jump into part two of our conversation of metaphysics we're going to talk about another allegory from plato um if you want to send us your questions your comments please write to us at imago day podcast at gmail.com we would love to hear your take on joe's amazing <laughs> analogies and uh, breakdown of plato joe thank you very much i look forward to talking about this more with you